What is happening guys? It's Dave here. We have been doing loads of awesome pre-season content over on our new YouTube channel. We've been doing form versus fixtures experiments, we've been releasing our drafts, and we've been doing the 8 Simple Rules series. This one was half an hour long, particularly insightful, so we thought we'd throw it up as audio as well for you guys. So if you want more content from us, go ahead and check out our YouTube channel. Other episodes in the series include FPL General, FPL Sala, Andy from Let's Talk FPL, and loads more. So have a wee look and uh, let us know what you think. Cheers. Welcome FPL Surgery viewers and listeners to 8 Simple Rules. 8 Simple Rules is a series that Dave devised, I think it was just over a year ago now, after having an awful season, put yep. together 8 rules, spoke to 8 different managers, and now for this season we, we've revisited those rules. He's tweaked a couple, and we're going to see you know, what top managers think about them. So this week, um, I'm very happy to speak to you, Pranil, for the first time. You, a lot of people may know you as Late Rosa 12 as well. Um, but how's it, how's it going? Great, man. I'm actually just really, really excited to talk to you because we've been talking for the most part of the last two years on Twitter and never ended up uh, uh, talking in person. I think we planned something last season and it just didn't work out. So I'm just happy to chat with you. And I'm actually surprised that I keep uh, getting invited to... Uh, to other pods as well after the rubbish season I had last year. <laughs> but here we are. You said top managers and I finished 700k last season. So I, I I don't know if that goes hand in hand. But where did you finish the season before? <laughs> 30th. There there you go. Yeah, there and you I, I remember, I think that's when we first start, started chatting. Um, I mean, I remember some great moments like you had Martial captain. I remember we both had Sterling captain when he got his hat-trick against Brighton. And I mean, that that kind of fun in FPL, um, that's what we need to bring back this season. Yep, yep, we need to. We really need to. It doesn't need to be just four players with score, scoring 200 plus points. We need to have some more uh, template breakers in there. Yeah, and finger, fingers crossed we get those. So the, the first question we have before we get onto the rules, it's Dave's question. And it's, it's quite a hard question, but it's basically what kind of manager are you? So how would you describe the way you play? I know it might be quite complicated, but... Uh, if I had to say one word to describe me as an FPL manager, I'd say opportunistic. Uh, I, I don't like really, really think uh, negative. I don't really think about the downside. Uh, I'm aware that you need to take risks to do well in this game. At least that's how I'm comfortable. And more often than not, the risks that I take uh, uh, cover a lot of poor decisions that I make because I'm making a lot of ground when I do. So I play a high variance game generally, which is why the size of the red arrows, when I decide to take a gamble, uh, it's either really high, a really big green arrow or a really big red arrow. Uh, but I think I have the temperament to deal with that. So I'm happy. I mean, I had a really poor season last year, but I was very happy and I'm still enjoying it. And you learn from it. So yeah, I think the word would be opportunistic. Yeah, no, I like that as well. Uh, I think that does just describe you. And obviously, like we already mentioned, it, it didn't quite work last season, but who knows? Maybe maybe this year is the year that it goes back to how it was, you know, after Project yep. Restart the year before. Oh, there's a big yeah. massive asterisk right beside last year anyway. No one's really paying attention. Don't you worry about it. We certainly aren't. No. Are we rich? <laughs> no, I'm not. That, that doesn't hide the fact that I made some really poor decisions last season. Yeah. Better, you learn from them. You learn from them. That's all you can do. Yeah, and that's why we've got rules, eh? All right, first rule, Rich, go for it. Um, so the first rule... Um, so is basically a template team to start the season. So a lot of people, a lot of managers have suggested they try and play safe. They might even look at, you know, ownerships, et cetera. 
Um, but how do you feel about going for a very template team, very template 15 for game week one? That's, this is something I've looked into actually a lot. And I've, so, so after you have a really poor season, you're contemplating and thinking about what went wrong. And this was one of the biggest factors because I had a really poor uh, start last season. I started without Salah. And uh, when Abdul FPL Salah came on our pod as well, he spoke about uh, that FISO post where he talks about you really need to focus on price points and get some players who are fairly template. So you're staying with the pack uh, at the start of the season. Uh, I think what I'm going to do is probably play a little variation of this. I'm going to make sure that uh, the guys who are really going to kill me when it comes to effective ownership are in my team. And I think at the moment that's uh, Salah and Trent. Uh, at the moment, I'm thinking about going without a Bruno to start the season. because mm. uh, uh, I don't think too many people are going to captain him in the first two game weeks. And I think there's an opportunity in Amane, Amaris, and Asan having a full preseason. So uh, that's the idea I'm toying with. So uh, maybe not as uh, risky a, a team as I went with at the start of last season, uh, but I'd say close to template. So uh, it's like it's like kind of like a smoker trying to cut back. Like here, <laughs> you've went from totally differential, and you know that the yeah. correct decision is probably to go template and stay like the pack. Like you said, Salah said, um, but you can't quite bring yourself to not start like a little bit weird. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Do it. <laughs> you, you, you. I think while you're playing this game, you need to be true to your own identity as yeah. well. So, a little bit in the middle, I reckon. And that's why we love you, man. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's a really good point on on Bruno actually, because I remember last season um, I went for Aubameyang, but I didn't go for Salah. So probably quite similar to you. But the, the danger there was everyone was captain in Salah. People that own Salah were captain in them. So I guess that's what complete, you know, we got 40 points against us instead of like just 20 points. Exactly. So, yeah. So I, I do like that. Um, obviously, there are risks in going without Bruno. Um, I thought you might say you'll go with him as well. So it's it's not completely template then. Not completely template. I mean, you, you have a feeling about a few things. Uh, there's there's no point playing this game, at least for me, if you're not going to back your own theories and your own feelings. You you need to back yourself. That's how I enjoy playing this game. Yeah, fair play. All right, well, you mentioned yeah. it already, um, but price points to balance your team um, is the second rule. So by that, for anyone who doesn't know, we just mean to make sure that you have a certain price point from each position so that you can easily reach uh, any player you want within, say, two moves. Um, something that uh, Scouts Joe really uh, really started big uh, maybe two seasons ago. Um, do you use price points in your own in your own thinking, your own tinkering? Uh, yes, but I don't really see it as a price point thing. I like having a trend because I think he's the best pick in the game. If I didn't think he was uh, the best pick in the game in defense, he wouldn't be in my team just because of the price point. Right. Uh, but it's nice to have that flexibility, especially with two premiums, I reckon, uh, because uh, I, as far as possible, I don't like spending my transfers on the mid-price guys. I like spending my tra transfers on those premium guys if there are opportunities for captaincy. So I do keep that in mind because it's I like shifting around the premiums more so than the uh, mid-price guys. But I think what yeah. I'm going to do this season, which I didn't do uh, last year, was take a stock of how I foresee things uh, around game week three, game week four. What happened was it can be quite uh, dangerous to go in with a preconceived notion that this is what I'm going to do this season. Uh, uh, you know, I was uh, reading Yavuz Kabuk's interview and he said that his biggest strength is adapting to every season. Yeah. And 
I think after three or four game weeks, I don't want to talk about who the good players are or who the bad players are. I want to take back, I want to sit back, I want to see if Chelsea attackers are going to hit a 15-20 goal season, if City attackers are going to hit a 15-20 goal season. You need to try and read how the season is going to be and uh, right. then take a call in terms of where you want to spend transfers. I, I, I've read, I've seen some of your pods as well. Uh, I think you're going in with a game week three or a four wildcard is yeah, it Dave? yeah i think so yeah. probably and it's and it comes from that like trying to define the season or at least the next 10 15 uh game weeks and then attack the players that you that you perceive to be good value or, yeah. or at least they're going to work and it means that i don't need to try and you know fight my way to the lunchroom that i never started with or or whatever the case may be this season it means i can get all those players in one fell swoop and then and then go forward so it's pretty much the same thing Yep, yep. I think more often than not, uh, instead of price points, I want to think about having at least seven or eight spots where I don't see myself spending transfers in the next few game weeks. I yeah. think that's important. All right. Nice, nice. No, that's, a, that's a good answer. Now, the, <laughs> the next rule, this is the one I was most looking forward to. Um, so the rule that Dave's put down is simple captain choices. So, I mean, obviously, when you had that, thir- that finish where you finished 30th and you've had other you know, top 100 finishes as well, from what I've seen and from what the community has seen, you, you're you're happy to captain anyone, basically. You know, Martial, he wasn't very popular. You were captaining him for hat-tricks, etc. So going into this season, are you going to be looking at simple captain choices or are you going to be looking for those opportunities only? Uh, so I told myself uh, when I was... Uh thinking about last season to keep it simple for the first 10 game weeks of the season uh, because I did a little bit of analysis looked back at my previous seasons and when you're having that spectacular captaincy going against the grain 90% of those came through for me in the second half of the season and especially in the last 10 or 15 game weeks so I reckon uh, if I do something against the grain it's a little bit of a shot in the dark at the start of the season because we've not seen enough football. So that instinct in terms of reading a team's defense or a team's attack doesn't really come through in the first 10 game weeks. And I'm right. uh, more an eye test manager than a stats manager. I do look at stats to contextualize things, but I think the devil is in the detail when it comes to going against the grain. Uh, like, uh, for example, the big two decisions that came through, one was Aguero against Aston Villa, when everybody was captaining Jamie Vardy against Southampton. And this was the second time uh, Leicester City were playing Saints. And uh, Southampton's defensive data had improved drastically in the last six or eight game weeks. And that's because uh, Hassan Utl, their manager, saw that their defensive numbers are poor. So, you know, what we see their own team's managers are also seeing as well. And he decided to tighten up. And... uh, it was all about whether you're able to predict that Aguero is going to start against, at that time, a poor defensive Aston Villa. And I think the devil is in this detail. When it comes to going against the grain, you need to look into the subjectivity of the matchup that there is that game week. And two things need to work in your favor when you're going against the grain. Uh, one is that the popular captaincy, there needs to be not as strong a case as there is. The crowd needs to be missing something. Yeah. And the second is the case for your captaincy. Right, so this is where like the opportunistic even, comes into play. Yeah, even Marshall at home, right? So I, I remember very clearly, I saw the game before that, which was the Spurs game, and Marshall uh, had four or five chances where he was in and around the box, and uh, mm-hmm. he just didn't put them in at that time. And what happened with Sheffield United is they were missing three or four of their first-choice defenders as well as their keeper. Yeah. So that's where the opportunity was. So I think and the you rest just is focus history. in the sub- subjective uh, matchup that's it 
Parenting. It's interesting that you say about um, obviously waiting 10 game weeks and then you've obviously got more data to work with because I, that period of time where players like Sterling Martial were scoring, that was after Project Restart. I can't remember how many weeks after, but you adapted very, very quickly after the restart, which was almost like a, you know the start of the season again. So for that way, I'd argue you can make it work earlier. <laughs> do yeah, it, do it, it. It's just too many wounds from last season at the I know, moment. But, I, yeah. I, but we'll probably be sitting a game week three or four, and I won't be able to help myself. This is something I'm telling myself. Whether yeah. I follow through with it, I don't know. Yeah, it's all about having determination of, of sticking to your 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 morals versus your your evil side saying you know just just do it. You know Ben Rama's right there. He's right there. <laughs> um, No hits is the next one we're going to be looking at. Very simple caveats of, of course, you can take hits with injuries if there's a double week, etc. But what is your philosophy with hits in general? Are you are you adverse? Do you like taking them? Uh, what's your beef? Generally, I like taking hits, but I want to go on them. Yeah. Uh, I went berserk with uh, hits last season because the season just spiraled. Uh, but uh, generally, I'm not averse to taking hits because I like, like, like you mentioned, right? I, like I mentioned earlier, I like using my transfers when it comes to premiums. Mm-hmm. And sometimes switching that takes two transfers, not one. So if it is a hit I'm taking for a particular captaincy, uh, I don't see it as a problem because I'm trying to gain 20 points. And in that attempt to gain 20 points, I'm okay to lose four. Right. So your caveat would simply be if it is for captains, then you're you're absolutely fine with taking a hit. But you're trying to trim the edges in terms of how many hits you take uh, in other parts of your your team. Yep. And I think there's a second caveat as well. Let's say when it comes to one of these attackers as well. uh, uh, Sometimes I'm very sure of that attacker, but I let's say have a weaker position in my team to take care of. I'll still take a hit for that attacker because uh, I think when it's a game of probability that you're playing right so if it's a pick that you're sure about i'd much rather increase the probability of me hitting a hole uh, by getting that attacker at the start of his good run of fixtures rather than waiting one or two game weeks so right. i'd probably have that as a caveat as well i like that so so i guess the the reverse is also true in that you would never take a hit for a defensive asset then if you're if you're able to do it for a striker you just it's just a big no no for defense yeah probably not yeah perfect all right Quick I, think that leads us, I think that leads us into the next rule, which I guess we've already touched on slightly. Um, so this rule is minimal core team transfers. Now, you did mention you like to have a core. And I know from you know speaking to you before on Twitter, you, you don't generally like to do defender transfers anyway. You'd like to concentrate on those big hitters. Um, so, I mean, if you just recap, really, you know, minimal core team transfers. Do you agree with this rule? Yeah, I agree. Don't uh, move around the glue guys or the mid-price guys. But then let's say you you can't have a rule here in terms of that's what I that's the preconceived notion that I had at the start of last season, where I thought I had the right uh, glue guys. And actually, last season was the season to change around your mid-price guys so that you're jump jumping onto a Lingard or a Gundogan when they arrive because right. the big hitters never shifted. So that is something you need to look back at around game week three, game week four, game week seven. Yeah, I think you need to assess it every four game weeks in terms of just judging the landscape. Let's say Kane is going to Man City uh, and Salah, Salah. It could be a season where you don't really need to move the big hitters because Salah and Kane are bringing in the points every week. So I don't think you can predetermine this just yet. I think this is something that needs to be reassessed every four or five game weeks. I like that. So kind of almost wait for your wild card or or wait till you at least have enough 
enough knowledge to be able to then determine which part of your your uh, your team is actually the guys who should be staying there forever. And if it's none of them, then, you know, that's probably a big idea, <laughs> a big inclination to wildcard. But if you've got maybe six or seven, then then you can s- stick them in. But from game week one, you're, uh, all bets are off for you. Yep. And also just before we move on to the next one, I think one very important point that not many managers talk about is the butterfly effect. When it comes to hits, especially early part of the season. Uh, game week four, game week five, game week six, you want to be in a position where you're making luxury moves which are taking advantage of good runs for good players instead of band-aid moves for your team where you're fixing the weak spots yeah. which is why i don't mind uh, uh, a few uh, hits early season because it's a good time to get ahead of the uh, competition i reckon yeah exactly just with so, so you obviously you mentioned not doing not not favoring defensive transfers but there was a couple of players over the last two seasons that i've really struggled with so for example i don't know if you had Dallas last season and obviously we had Lundstrom the year before so Dallas was annoying because he's a defender you didn't want to make the move I could never find an opportunity to do the move I mean would having someone like Dallas would that change your thinking going into this season if a similar player you know emerges yes do it do it at the start of the season I think uh I think until game week five six we don't really know who these goldmine budget defenders are and I think you can make an exception for that yeah nice it actually brings us nicely into the next one. It's just plan your wildcard timing, something that we could probably um, use this information for. So for me, in the last couple of seasons, I've been trying to adopt the early wildcard. For others, it's always the first uh, international break. Some decide that they're just going to keep it till the end, as far along as possible, and then use it. Um, what is your idea? Because, you know, you can have people who just do it when they feel like it. Where do you, where do you hang out in that spectrum? Uh, 70 to 80 percent of the seasons I've wildcarded by game week four, right. latest. Uh, and I've had my worst season and my best three seasons doing that. Uh, the thinking is, uh, game week one is a shot in the dark, so you need to assess uh, at around game week three whether the uh, shots that you took were they on target or not, mm-hmm. and then decide whether you want to wildcard or not. So in my head for this season, I'm looking because there is a clear. Uh, shift of fixtures around game week seven for Chelsea and City. Uh, uh, so this week, this season, I'm looking at maybe planning my team for the first seven or eight game weeks. I'm not looking at fixtures beyond that, right. uh, with a, with a greater focus on the first three or four game weeks. Nice. Right. And um, so, I mean, do you keep it flexible? So obviously, if we yeah. get to game week seven and you're kind of happy with your team, you'll just plow through and and not use the wild card. Yep. 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 <laughs> absolutely but i'd be I, I'd, I'd be more keen to use it than not i reckon i think the first wild card is best used early yep. yeah i i agree with that i it agree was, it was something that you said last year when we were doing eight simple rules that actually you know pretty much confirmed my idea of doing it early and you said that um the amount of of positives that you get from wild carding early versus or when you're when you're looking at it against people who are going to be wild carding at the end is that i have 10 plus game weeks of small term games for each week. So say I only make five points on their teams every week, then over the course of 10, I'm 50 points ahead of them. And then if they try and wildcard for a specific reason, we we argued that maybe max you'd get an extra 40 points, in which case I'm already ahead of the a lot of the curve. So it's something that I've, I've kept in my head the whole time. Um, so do you still, still subscribe to that idea after a poor season? 
Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. I'm so Rich glad. Rich and we were talking about it actually uh, during off season as well, where we both wildcarded early and where we both went big on Man City uh, mm-hmm. early season. It just didn't work out, but uh, it was us not reading and Pep not giving any indicators that he's going to play slightly differently this season. So yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just funny because um, obviously when we were reviewing because I was on eight simples last year and we reviewed you know what I said and. We didn't go without Salah, and obviously Salah started really well. And that, looking back now, that was a mistake. But with Man City, and Man City were very good for large portions of the season. If we'd got that right, and people who didn't wildcard City players in didn't, we could have shot ahead like you did when you, you know, you had Aguero against Villa when they won. Exactly. I can't even remember what the score was, but that could have been our moment, and this whole conversation would be very, very different. Yeah, I agree. If I was if I was a betting man, I'd say that this season is going to be more similar to the season before last season and not like last season. Yeah. I think we will see more premium bigotters this season. So we need Sterling then. <laughs> yeah. We need more money is what we need. I can't even put in three premiums this season. All right, next one. No team or player bias. So last season it was just team bias. I've added player in this season have you got any uh, preconceived notions of players that you would absolutely hate to own again because they've hurt you in the past or maybe you're more biased towards man city or man united players because you're a fan um is there any is there anyone that comes to mind no this is something i don't generally struggle with either i don't have a bias if i've had a bad experience with a player i'm willing to take a a gamble again especially with the pulisic uh again in that uh, season he was great in the last seven, eight game weeks. And people are always worried because he's they're saying that he's uh, going to be injured in two or three game weeks or something like that. Even with Marshall, even with players like Ings, you must have missed out on Ings's monster season if you're worried about having a preconceived notion. So it's very important to just have a blank slate. I do have a problem with players I don't rate, though. Uh, so, for example, Harrison uh, is somebody everybody's going gaga about at six million. Mm. I just don't think he's a good player. I, I don't think he's a good player, and which is why uh, uh, I might not get him. So it's not uh, a bias because of ex- FPL experiences that I've had with the player. It's because of uh, how I've judged the player initially while so, watching him. So when you use your eye test and you're watching for players and you and you have this idea that, you know, what I like him, I like him, I like him, I don't like him, then it's very difficult mm-hmm. for you to change your mind on that player once you've already said it? Yes, it is. Would you say that that's a problem or, or has that helped you in the long run? Like not going for these players have yielded better results than, you know, going against your gut? It's generally worked out for me. Harrison was an exception last yeah. season. Right? I personally thought his uh, returns are not predictable. So, yeah. Yeah. Harrison, Harrison was a really frustrating player because I owned him quite a lot. He got a lot of one point cameos getting subbed, you know, at half time before 60 minutes. Also, he was on loan, so he, he missed a couple of games. So I did find it funny when everyone looks back at the end of the season and he was so high up there. Um, exactly. did think it was a bit strange. But are there any premium players that you've got? I don't want to say a bias against, but are there any premium players that you just don't tend to go for? Or Nope, nobody. Because I switch around my premiums, right? So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't have a bias against any of them. Fair play. Yeah, so so maybe is it maybe you don't see because you don't change your mid-price players too much. Maybe someone like Harrison wouldn't suit that because you wouldn't want him as a like a set and forget player. Yep, I just don't like it. And and also uh, what FPL is doing is enhancing your experience of watching football, right? So mm. I it's nice to own players that you like. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, then, but then but then you're adding too much watch. emotion, I think, into the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
All right, rule eight is the guest rule. So we've asked all our guests to come up with a, a separate rule that we can add um, just to see if there's anything that we've missed or anything that you'd like to highlight. Have you uh, got anyone? Uh, so yeah, we were talking about, I thought we'd talk about effective ownership. And uh, generally, uh, I use uh, effective ownership as a gauge of opportunity in terms of, uh, you know, I like if a premium player with a great fixture or even just a good attacker with a great fixture is owned under 5-10%. And I like uh, uh, sort of taking advantage of that by sometimes even handing in the armband. But what I want to try doing this season is also use EO where highly owned players and I need to have a very strong filter. So I want to ask myself more and more why this player is 50% owned, 60% owned, having 100% EO and why don't I agree with that so i want to right. have that filter which i didn't have last season so i i used to look at it from only from an opportunistic point of view but i want to use it as a filter as well now so kind of both ends of the spectrum you're looking for opportunity but you're also looking to see why there is uh such a hype for these type of players like tony for example is a perfect storm yeah. of hype um and everyone understands why but then you look at other players that are really high and you're thinking well, actually, you know, there's other players that are very similar. What what's going on? So, have you? Is there any players in your mind that you can analyze right now, or that you've been thinking about in terms of you don't want them, but you might as well go for them now because they're so highly owned. Bruno. Bruno. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Mm. I guess that's the big one. Bruno. Yeah, that's the big one. Yep. And like we feel one. exactly the same. That well, that's how I feel about Bruno as well. It's like I don't enjoy owning him. Although you made the great point on the first rule that he's not going to be highly captain. So at least he might not be one of these 150% plus players, you know, with with his effective ownership this year, or I'd, or I'd hope not, or at least yeah. not in the, in the early days. And, and I have a bias advantage as well. I'm a Man United fan as well. So I don't really feel too sad if he's scoring. I'm okay with that. That's true. Yeah, you've got that little little safety net. Although I'm sure you don't want him to score if, if you don't own him. No, Just with... I, I, I don't <laughs> mind it too much. Okay. With um, last season... Um, did you look at effective ownership in in that way at all? Because I always like doing the same as you, looking for the opportunities, you know, low-owned players, like, for example, Vardy and Aubameyang, they always tempted me last year because they were so lowly owned, but, you know, they are premium players, or Aubameyang used to be. Um, uh, were there any players you got in purely because of ownership last year? Was this something you're adding, you know, for the upcoming season? Nope, nothing. Nothing happened. I was just uh, very overconfident last season thinking right. whatever i thought was right which is why i want to have a stronger filter uh, this time around so yeah i don't want to keep believing all the theories that i have in my head i want to question uh, <laughs> oh no the last season has season. made you question yourself that's that's yeah. that's yeah. a bad season <laughs> um but yeah, we're sure you're gonna be doing amazing this time and obviously we're all rooting for for the comeback you know everyone likes the david that's goliath it. story um, thank you so much for coming in and checking our rules and letting us know what you think. Obviously, The Wire is doing amazing. If you haven't checked that out, uh, you and uh, the boys do amazing work. So we're looking forward to next week's pod and, and, and seeing your final drafts as well. But yeah, um, is there anything else you want to plug before we go, buddy? Yes, uh, the FPL Surgery channel on YouTube is quite new, so make sure you're <laughs> liking and subscribing. <laughs> yeah, it's the best oh, ever. Thank you, mate. And thank you as well for rushing, because I know you've just rushed back from work. Um, like You've literally just finished work and you've joined us um, for this episode. So we really do appreciate it. And it's actually nice to, to finally speak to you. And yeah, I know. hopefully we do something again soon. Yes, hopefully over a pint of beer next time. Yeah, that would be, be even better. Even better. Yep. 
Maybe yeah. maybe just one though, Rich. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for watching. We'll see you next time for another Eight Simple Rules. Uh, but until then, up the pod. See you next time. <laughs>